No family movie night is complete without some delicious ice-cold Coke. Pick up Coca-Cola at your nearest retailer today. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul, and you're listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer, along with my lovely wife, Sherry, and we have a special guest with us today, Jack Mayo. We'll introduce him in just a moment. But for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing, emphasis on healing, and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness joy and well-being. Well, Jack, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, Richard, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. So let me give you a little bit of history. Um, Jack reached out to me. Just remind me, how did you even, did you hear the podcast? Did you just find the website? Well, I I was researching the the program that I offer and and your website website popped up and I reviewed it and, and watched read your blogs and your podcast and is very in alignment with what I want to do. And I thought it'd be a good, good way to get my name out there and, and introduce myself to you, build that relationship and um, see what happens. And I sent you an invite or a request and you accepted right away. Yeah. So I get a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff comes at me, but that one intrigued me because of the, your story, because of what you were doing, which is in line with, you know, our thinking. And the fact is that we want healing to happen. So I'm going to turn a little bit of time over to Jack. He does offer a couple of services, and we'll make sure that you know about his website and his contact information. But Jack, you've got a fascinating story. It's not a happy story, at least not to start with. And it's very similar in the last two podcasts that Sherry and I have done. We've covered trauma all the way back to in utero at conception on, where families are just dysfunctional. And the children coming from said family carry a lot of false narratives, which we covered in the last segment. Things such as, I have no worth, it's my fault, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, things of that nature. So let's spend a couple of minutes. What happened to you? What's your background that leads you to a point today you're, you're sitting in my office because you're offering ways for other people to find healing? in that in that space sure and i'll be this will be a brief quick summary of of my background um but basically it 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 is a sad story but it has a happy ending and that's the whole um point of this uh podcast is from you know abuse homelessness to recovery and happiness um so basically my story is a life of uh violent physical abuse um, baseball bats to the head, cracked opening on, against desks, um, punching, headbutting, knives to throats, uh, death threats, <clears throat> neglect um, by parents, um, you know, not grooming me, uh, just nine moves, three high schools in four years, seven schools overall, just a lot of calamity in my life. And because. Sorry to interrupt, but. I think it'd be interesting to know, because I've had a chance to read a little bit about this. Give us a quick understanding of who your father was and a little bit about your mother. They've both since passed away recently. Yes. Um, And just give us a little bit of narrative there, because this is in harmony 
with what we're trying to explain. You came into this world and you had all this stuff happen to you. That's not your fault. What you did is you took responsibility for getting out of that. That's right. So tell us a little bit about mom and dad. Mom, mom and dad were both uh, very colorful people. My dad was a <clears throat> whiskey drinking drunk, uh, like I like I later became, and uh, jumping from job to job, uh, staying out all night with three kids at home. And and one day he came home and. He tried to get in his house, and, and then mom stuck her head out the window and said, you don't live here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he went down to an hourly motel down the street and, uh, and decided that life change was probably necessary for him. Um, uh, so he decided to get sober, and he went into AA, uh, worked the 12 steps, uh, got recovered, and then eventually started a heavy-haul trucking company from scratch. Uh, one truck at a time and build an empire uh, to a national trucking company. Mm. Um, a very, he ended up being a very successful man. Uh, financially. Financially, yeah. Very financially stable uh, family and, and, and man and provided us when I wanted for nothing. So now, did your parents stay together after he got sober? They were married 60 years okay. by the time they died. So they okay. did stay together. Um, but with that said, you know, this is another reason why I started and my dad went through the recovery process. He did the 12 steps. He stopped drinking, but he didn't change his behaviors, who he was. He still had the big ego, uh, the narcissism, the neglect on his children um, and, and selfishness. You so know? when you said I didn't want for anything, you're saying economically, economically, I didn't I didn't want it. How, how old were you when he decided to become sober? Uh, I was like three, okay. three years old. So pretty young. But what he continued was the dry drunk syndrome. The dry drunk syndrome, yeah. absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely, and and yeah. So uh, economically, materially, we got everything we needed, but emotionally, we got nothing. I mean, I uh, never I love you, never I a hug, no touching of any sorts, um, and it was it was kind of sharp with the tongue, you know. So there was some uh, anger there as well. Did he have a military background? He did. Yeah, Air Force. Okay. I don't have a whole lot of background on him because, again, we're not that tight of a, a family, so I don't know a whole lot about his upbringing. He's the only child. I know that. You don't know your grandparents? Um, I knew my grandma. and I'm a, My dad's dad was an editor of the Cincinnati Enquirer, huh. um, and he died when he was 49. Uh, years old so he died of cirrhosis of the liver so it's in the family uh-huh. so my dad was raised by a single mom who died when i was 18. um and uh and, and so he lost both his parents when he was 50 something years old so and then the mom on the other hand was born in the hills of kentucky and she had no power uh, on their property and uh very poor that's interesting because just two segments ago we were talking about this book rich recently um, read hillbilly elegy and you know somebody it's the story of someone getting out of that yeah. that same the, lifestyle the, the hillbilly syndrome and ending up at harvard and so oh, rewriting yeah. that yeah. script was a difficult journey sure and i'm it's, sure both their journeys were difficult for them where they came from yet you mentioned in your last podcast you know about they did the best they could with what they had right. you know they didn't yeah. you know that's they didn't have any teachers or any of this right. uh, um access to any of this so anyways, her, she grew up in a, in a poor, poor area and her dad ended up blowing his head off with a shotgun, you know, committed suicide. So this is suicide in our family as well, mental illness. Um, anyway, so her and my dad met in high school. Um, 
had that relationship. My mom went on, they moved to California because he was in the Air Force and, and moved around the country a little bit. And my mom ended up becoming a uh, Playboy bunny. While she was married? Well, uh, while she was married. And my dad, you know, I, I heard this after he died, but he didn't really appreciate that. Uh, he still, he hid it from us. He didn't show us any, you know, obviously the pictures uh, I, I sent to you or whatnot, uh, bunny pictures. Um, but he, he was embarrassed of it. Um, again, ego, right? Mm-hmm. So what's it, what's it to make me look like? Right. Um, and, and so that they went on and, and like you said, she got out of it though. She went from nothing to living in the most uh, reclusive spot in uh, Ohio, Indian Hill, Ohio, which is where this, you know all the rich and celebrities live. Um, so she did she did well financially like that. But again, she was so so disassociated by her own trauma. Um, I'm, I'm guessing I'm not a therapist or a doctor, but you know, there was no love there as well. She had, you know, four children. She basically had to raise them, uh, herself. Um, but again, no loving, no hugging. I kiss you. I love you or any of that. Where do you fit in the siblings? I'm the fourth. Okay. You're the baby. I'm the youngest. Yep. All right. And, All right. and out of that neglect, it bred the opportunity for the physical abuse to come from siblings. Absolutely. Absolutely. My siblings are older than I am. I've, uh, Laura is my oldest, uh, sister. She's, uh, about 12 and a half years older than I am. And then my brother, the abuser is next who was seven years older than I am. Okay. And he's, you know, a large, large human being, but yeah, you're right. That neglect, you know, and he has mental illness, obviously, and he is, he would, you know, started from my old, old earliest childhood memory is, is getting headbutted, hit in the face, hit with baseball bats, um, had a knife, cue sticks, pull sticks, whatever he could hit me with, he did, okay? And this happened every daily basis, like every single day for years, okay? Uh, I was petrified. Um, and, you know, again, going to mom and dad about it, they had their own thing going on, so they didn't really do a whole lot. I remember the first time I brought it to their attention, my mom screamed at me, you know, stay away from them. Well, it's hard to do when you live in the same house, you know, so. So she put the responsibility on you. Yeah. Well, at that time, I didn't know that, but yes, that is my, you know, that's why I thought I had to hide or protect myself. No one else does that do it. But this is a very common pattern, by the way, that we oftentimes, because we don't understand the dynamics, the stories that you're telling are so well laid, especially coming from the perspective of the embryo, embryonic trauma that we go through. And now behaviors keep compounding themselves. So first of all, she says, stay away from him. But that's what people in, in uh, corporate America do with bullies. Okay. It's the same mindset. Yeah. You know, we're putting the responsibility at the wrong level. So fascinating story. Yeah, it is funny you say that because I experienced the same behavior at work. And I've experienced the same behavior in relationships as an adult. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> so that script you kind of got handed from your family, you've seen repeated even as you moved away from your family in life, uh, I've seen it repeated my entire life. And, yeah. and to say that it's, I won't, I don't like being so dramatic as saying it ruined my life, but it's had some severe consequences and has delayed some of my aspirations, if I had any, even um, of, of being any kind of success in, in any field I wanted to be in. You know, I've had multiple firings because. Uh, from work uh, from work uh, I've been fired 15 times because I'm afraid to answer the phone I'm afraid to reply to emails I'm afraid of conflict workplace bullies I take I take the abuse because it's what I'm used to you know I I developed a relationship with this woman in recovery you know we met when I was three years sober and uh, everything was great at first but then the the punching started the 
the the swearing at me, the I I hate you started, and and all that felt normal to me. Like it felt comfortable. Like this is what I'm used to. This is good. This I like the pain of this. How this feels. Oh, that's okay, we want to grab grab that real quick. I, yeah. So that's familiar. That's what he knows. Yeah. And we get stuck in our familiar instead of going to safe. And then you said something, Jack. That's fascinating. Targets in my research, targets of bullying, targets of abuse will oftentimes subconsciously put themselves in a position to be abused because of the medication process. You get medicated when you're abused because then you can claim the victim position, the helpless, the hopeless. Yeah. But the bullies are doing the same thing. They're getting medicated by doing the abuse because that's their familiar and they're telling themselves false stories. So you've got two ends of the spectrum and colliding. It and explains the attraction to right. those personalities coming together right those stories coming together really so we're, we're kind of connecting dots that we've been doing over the last year or so in this in this podcast you, i was totally thinking the victim versus target would you explain that a little bit deeper you bet you bet so there's there's two because jack's story is a classic of this there's two words that we use and we don't use them correctly we use the term victim a lot and cops use the term vic Oh yeah, did you get the, the MO of the Vic or whatever, something like that. Well, the problem with that is a victim and a target are two different entities. A target is someone who's the recipient, here, I'll, I'll show this to you as well, Jack, is the recipient of undeserved maladaptive behavior. As a child, you're a, you're a target. Things happen to you. Uh, in the workplace bullying, they use the term target because you're just doing your job and then someone in a supervisory position, so that's unequal in power, in the power base will start acting on you. That's a target, but there's a tipping point in the process. It usually happens in the teens that we move from a target to a victim and a victim. If you'll see here, a victim is the recipient of maladaptive behavior that is manufactured. So often in my experience here is that the, the people who constantly have these recurring themes of abuse, position themselves unknowingly subconsciously they don't want to be there but that's how they're going to survive because they get stuck in their familiar and so when you escape from that you look back and then and as i've read in, in a lot of the stuff you've sent me i see the signs and when i when i work with people who are getting a divorce from abuse the wife will go yeah i saw the sign before we got married i saw this i saw this and i saw this but I didn't act on any of that because that was familiar. Um, too often I hear the wife say, yeah, I married my dad. Mm -hmm. Or the, the dad, the husband say, yeah, well, I married either my dad or my mom, whoever was the abuser. <laughs> so apologize for the interrupt, but what you're saying is in harmony with all of this research they've done on the, on the brain and trauma, unprocessed trauma, because we get stuck in this place called familiar. Mm -hmm. And we move ourselves from a target to a victim and then we blame, if we don't get healing, we blame the world and shame ourselves. Blame is, I made a mistake, or you made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. And now you look up on these eight narratives. One of them is, I'm a mistake. I can't have worth. I can't. And I'm very familiar with them. And they're like home to me. And, and yeah, everything you said is correct. And you actually get to enjoy the, being the victim. The uh, sympathy from the empathy, love for look what happened to me, you know. And in, it's a fascinating. And that's a form word. of medicating. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 
And the word enjoy is, and this is when they say I get high. I would argue, and I'm not arguing that it's not, but it's when you have pain reduced, it feels like pleasure. It feels great. When I went out, my wisdom teeth pulled. Remember that one? That's the only time I've been on drugs. And I was really loopy. (laughs) I played a baseball game on drugs. And I was loopy as can be. And Sherry was the sweetest thing in the world. And I was constantly telling her I love her. Um, you were hilarious. I, I mean, what, I can't even, I, we don't even use narcotics when we are in pain, so I can't remember what it was, but it was really low grade, whatever. Yeah, but the point being no. that I didn't have pain anymore because I had my wisdom teeth pulled and it was hurting and I took the drug and all of a sudden the pain went away and it's like, oh man, that feels so good. And then I just, you know, that's really what we're saying when we drink or when we medicate. The pain is at least numbed temporarily. Yeah, yeah, you know, and getting onto that, you know, so I've also believe in attraction, how I attracted my my partner at the time who right. was abusive, and because it was normal to me, I also attracted a lot of uh, f- what they call freak accidents. You know, I've been attacked by a dog. Um, I slit my arm. Uh, and got 13 stitches on my arm. I broke my face twice on the left side with baseball accidents. Um, I went through two car accidents, one through a windshield and shattered my face, had to get reconstructive surgery, um, and, and a whole bunch of, well, I broke my hand in four places. It's just a lot of calamity. I was, I was attacked by a jealous ex boyfriend of a girlfriend at the time. And they, they beat me down and then slipped my neck with a knife. So all this trauma on top of the on purpose trauma where the, you know, um, what I had a breaking point. So what do I do? Do I kill myself or do I find a solution here and and to be honest you know the earliest I've, earliest memories i have probably nine ten years old i've thought about suicide every single day since that day um multiple times a day i'm thinking about it right now suicidal ideation i think about it from the time i wake up to the time i go to bed it takes up 95 percent of my day probably and that's another challenge with the work for, or workplace or workforce how are you to be productive when you're thinking about suicide or killing yourself every single day all day long you know, like when I'm speaking these words to you, I'm thinking suicide in my head, you know? So how do you deal with that? What do you do? You know, I, 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 uh, I, am so used to it. It's like the abuse. I'm so used to it. It's almost too a comfortable, uh, uh, comfortable to me to think about it. It's kind of a, at times it can be a relief. Like, okay, there's an option I have. I have no other options. I have this option. And then you kind of go, well, at least I have that. That's great. Um, some days the ideation is way more serious than other days. Like the days I get fired, not a great day for me when I'm thinking about suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today is when I'm doing something cool like this and talking to cool people like this. Uh, it's on my mind and it's just a word. It's not an action yet, you mm-hmm. know? So that's, that's, I just manage it. That's why when I'm on my Facebook and you see someone that commits suicide, you, they, everyone sends out the, the hotline number, call this number. Well, if you're at that point, that number's not that do anything for you, okay? So I don't like uh, suicide prevention. I like to call it suicide management, you know, because you can manage suicide ideation um, if you have help and do it correctly, you know? So anyway, so the, all these crazy thoughts and the pain that I'm in and the suicide thoughts, I, I, I went to a friend's house who had some beer one night when I was 14 and we started drinking. And, and was that the first time you touched liquor? 14 years old was the first time I touched liquor, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, my fifth school or I didn't know a whole lot of people went to a party, got invited to, cause I was a new kid. And it, I do want to put it in perspective because you've said the narrative quickly and the listeners might not catch on oh, the sorry. impact of everything. Not that you're speaking anything inappropriate. The idea is 
When you change schools that often, your entire social network, a supportive network, changes as well. And we know, and we did this in the three or four podcasts ago, one thing that helps us heal and get through the day is a contained amount of social connections in a group, the social. So your friends at school can make or break your, your success in school. And your family is the other one. So those are the two areas, your close net family, which wasn't. And in school, having a close knit group of friends at school, which you didn't. Which was constantly getting disrupted. That social network and fabric was disrupted. So it was never solidified. Yeah. So you have mom, dad, and parents when you're a baby. That transforms from age nine to 14. You start looking out in the world to see if the world knows who you are. Okay, there you are at age 14, and from 9 to 14, you've discovered the world doesn't know who Jack is. So you now emulate the maladaptive behavior that got you to believe that you don't have value in the world. And isn't it interesting that 14 is the day it started, and yeah. it was introduced to you, as I understand it. So the average age when I was uh, in high school for depression medication was 30. Mm. Today it's 14. Oh. How about that? Age nine to 14 is that time frame. If we don't connect by the time we're 14, we will now spend the rest of our adult life until we get help bemoaning and searching for the three A's in this world, affirmation, affection, and approval. And we will do anything we can to medicate. We lose the parent-centric approach and we're now peer-centric or social-centric. Yeah. And that's going back to speaking of alcoholism or alcohol, it's just a symptom of my disease. You know, I use right. that as a medication because I didn't have any other outlet, you know, and on top of everything else, being told I'm stupid every single day of my life, right. I'm ugly, and my mom doing my homework because she didn't think I was smart enough to do it myself. All of that just added to I'm, I'm an idiot, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, and I'm unsafe. Wow. So there was a, a degree of uh, helicoptering there. Well, rescuing, rescuing. Some rescuing. Well, I think it's more ego on her part where oh, she did, she was, she'd be embarrassed. But that's the motivation well. of a rescuer. Yeah. Okay. And to make, yeah, okay. you're going to rescue a child because you don't want failure for yourself as a parent. Right. Okay. What we're going to do, because we are running short, I want to, I want you to. We're getting a part of your story. That's but. critical to the end result. So for those people who can only listen to this podcast and don't get a chance to listen to the next one, let's talk a little bit about your service. Okay. Uh, give me a brief Reader's Digest and then contact information. And then I would like to pick this up right where we left sure. off in the next segment. So you've created two services for people to reach out to them. Because the part of the story we haven't heard yet is more about your healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it sounds like it's a healing on a daily basis. It's a practice on a daily basis, and, that, and the reason it came to fruition here is because I've experienced so much pain, and I've had so much experience with this, and on the recovery side, I just celebrated 13 years of uh, recovery from alcohol alcoholism on April 14th on Sunday. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So I have a lot of experience of what um, addiction is and how to recover from addiction in a healthy way. Um, because again, I'm going back to alcoholism. It's just a, a, a symptom of our disease. So I developed a program. It's called Rat City Recovery. It's two programs, an all-inclusive program and an online module program. So you can find that at Rat City. Uh, let's see, ratcityrecovery.com. Right? Correct. Okay. Ratcityrecovery.com. And um, it basically, it's... I like to say it's to be a, a combination of inpatient and outpatient recovery. 
And it doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. It can be food. It can be shopping. I'm working with a shopaholic right now. He's going through my program, right? Mm -hmm. um, so basically, it's a 100-page workbook. You uh, you get full access with me for 90 days. We, we talk about nutrition. We set you up with a nutrition plan, a uh, workout plan. Uh, we go through the workbook. We do do some step work. Um, there's some mentorship, and uh, I, I attend programs with you. I'm your I'm your transport. We'll, we'll take you to detox or rehab if you do decide to go down that road. Basically, I'm with you the whole time, and we, we figure out what the core issues is. What were your core symptoms? And that's what this workbook does. Mm -hmm. It talks about your childhood. Uh, it talks about the eight uh, uh, I like to call them beloofs there, where we the blue they're not true. Uh -huh. The, the, the like things that. that we yeah. made up that's what uh, we discover and, and we we work with the family as well because it's a whole, like you said in your previous podcast addiction doesn't only affect the addict it affects family just as much and they're mm -hmm. just as sick and they need an outlet as well so let's let's i got an entire program of mind body and soul let's let's do it in 90 days and so there's two ways you you can do it that you're explaining there is an all-inclusive that is really designed for geographically centered in the Seattle area, but there's also an online version of this. So anyone, anywhere can gain access to this program. Correct, there is an online module system. It's, it's a three phase 90 day program as well, basically the same format. Um, the exercise program will be on there for you, the nutrition plan, and you'll have access to me, uh, either email or phone. Um, anytime, day or night, it's uh, it's available for you. And you know, the point of again is to, you know, this is a passion of mine. Um, it feels really aligned with who I am and what I do is that I want to take all the suffering I've had to go through and turn it into a positive um, and help others so they don't have to deal with the same thing. So here's the information again as we conclude this segment. Um, if you want to get a hold of Jack, his email address is jmayo, J-M-A-Y-O, at ratcityrecovery.com. And his website is ratcityrecovery.com. So this concludes this segment, fascinating segment, and really connecting a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. So we look forward to seeing you in the next segment. We're going to have Jack here again, and we're going to continue his story where we left off and bring it to that aspect of healing. So remember, all resources are within you. Challenges that come your way are perfect, perfect meaning exactly what you need at this time to grow and come closer to integration. Perfect is a mistake that gets a retake. And in the next segment, Jack gets to tell us about the retake. Thanks so much for listening. Doubt is a broken record that plays inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured every day. These never-ending worries. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, -face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. 
Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.